Hey guys, welcome to our, uh, this is my first ever virtual roundtable broadcast with Dr. Robin Henderson. I see you right there. What's up, Robin? You good? I'm good, Jojo. How are you doing today? I'm doing awesome. Just, you know, another day of lockdown, having a good old time, you know. Uh, by the way, Dr. Robin Henderson is the chief executive. Here's her fancy title. It's, uh, man, if I could have a title like this, chief executive of behavioral health at Providence. Um, goodness gracious. What is that, Robin? Give me some details. What, what's that all about? Well, basically what it means, you know, I'm based up here in Oregon. Uh, it's that little state that's, you know, on top of California. Up there. Uh, yeah. Up there. And uh, basically it means anything having to do with mental health, substance use disorders, emotional well-being that we run within our system, that runs through me. And then I do a lot of work with our system uh, partners, do a lot of work with other mental health initiatives that I'm sure we're going to get to and talk about today. But basically, if you want to talk mental health, you want to talk to me. Beautiful. All right. Well, we're going to be talking about, you know, several things, obviously, guys, but uh, the work to be well program and how it's helping uh, teens, among other people, you know, uh, during these crazy times, uh, which I'm a big uh, believer in just keeping your mental health right. It's, I think last couple of years, we've uh, put more of a focus on it, which I think is super important, you know, yep. and I think it's making a big difference. Um, let's start with, uh, before we get to work to be well, what Providence, just so people know when I say Providence, you know, what, what is Providence? Providence Health and Services is basically a health system across seven states. We have Northern and Southern California, Texas, Washington, Oregon, Alaska, Montana, and a little bit in New Mexico. Uh, but basically, we're a health system. We offer hospital services. Many of the hospitals down there under Providence St. Joseph Health uh, are our hospitals. Some right there, probably very close to you in Burbank. Right. And, you know, we basically have that enterprise of primary care, specialty care, kind of your full service uh, health system, basically. And we take care of people who are, uh, you know, dealing with a variety of different issues, including COVID-19. Which we'll get to that later. And by the way, um, my dad, he lives in Texas. Um, he's dealing with it now. He tested positive for COVID. And it's, uh, wow. it's, it's um, I mean, my, my mom and dad or my mom and sister, they're divorced, you know, but they, um, well, my mom and sister aren't divorced. They were never married, but uh, my mom and dad are divorced and uh, they, they, you know, they still, they're, they're still friendly and they went to visit him and uh, he was so, uh, and I guess everybody's experience with COVID is a little different. Some people don't know they have it. Some people it's, you know, obviously it's terrible, but uh, he, they found him completely drained. He could barely talk, just exhausted. So they took him to the hospital, the ER, and they thought he had pneumonia for a second. Uh, he took the test, COVID test. Then he went to go stay with my mom and sister. Uh, test comes back that he had COVID. Of course, now my mom and sister are going through the, you know, the, the, quarantine. Um, the quarantine. But my dad's doing better. He's, he's got more energy now, but his cough is crazy. So it's, that's, it, it's legit. I, I can't get through a 30-second a conversation with, with my dad at the moment without him just coughing like crazy. So take this stuff serious, guys. Um, that we're going to talk a lot about the Work to Be Well uh, program. Uh, what is Work to Be Well how was it formed? How did it come into being? All that. Well, Work to Be Well actually started a little over three years ago, right down there in, in LA, uh, in partnership with iHeartMedia. And iHeartMedia was uh, just a big part of us starting to have conversations about mental health. And I remember, you know, some of our earliest conversations were, with DJs were right there in your shop. Right. Uh, with you and Big Boy and, and other folks talking about, um, how do we normalize the conversation around mental health, especially for teenagers? And the crew up in the greater Portland area jumped into this wholeheartedly with me and 
basically a bunch of high school students who were interested in crafting the messaging that would go out in the media. They wanted to know about what we were talking about on the radio. You know, early on, we were talking about things like back to school and prom and stuff like that. And they're like, you know, there are other things we talk about too that are more important to our mental health. Like, how do you talk about politics at Thanksgiving without getting an argument with, you know, Uncle Joe? And I'll tell you how, there's no way. Uncle Joe is just no a mess. <laughs> <laughs> but we came up with distractor tasks and we taught really? kids how to do distractor. Oh, yeah. Give me Ricky one of those. Cool. I need to hear that because I've got an Uncle Joe that, yeah. <laughs> well, basically, uh, you put conversation starters, you like put them on like uh, little slips of paper and you play a game at the dinner table where you're going to have conversation starters that say things like, tell me about your first pet. You know, tell me about the first time you you kissed a girl, boy, or whatever, you know, but different conversation starters that stay as far away from politics, religion, and any other dangerous topic within your family. <laughs> God, I'm going to write those down. And you just down. keep it rolling, right? Oh, that's so smart. <laughs> so smart. All right. So, and by the way, uh, speaking of, you know, working with you in the past, um, just to show you that it, it's, you guys have a pretty sizable company, obviously, and it, but it, yeah. on a personal note, um, I've uh, come across several people, you know, I talk to listeners and, and people all the time. And I've come across a few where, oh my God, you look, you've got some pretty serious, you know, you've got some, some obstacles here. Let me turn you on to, and I would turn them on to you and your team. And they took a one-on-one approach with several people that I know of personally. So that really, you know, it really, I don't know, it helped them a lot. And I still talked to a lot of these people that, uh, that you guys, you know, connected with. So thank you for that. Um, as far as work to be well, once again, what were the original goals and have those goals changed or evolved over the, since, uh, since it started? Or is it, yeah, just kind of walk, walk me through that. Yeah, so we really kind of dug in on the media thing for, for like a good year. And we began to realize that these students had really great voices about their own mental health histories. So we taught them how to tell their own stories. And we took them to places like, um, you know, other student council conventions where other students were, where they could tell their stories about eating disorders, about anxiety, about their own experiences. Um, we really kind of took that public health approach to things where the first thing you want to do is educate people. The second thing you want to do is empower them. And by helping them learn to tell their own stories and be comfortable with, we empowered them. But the third thing they wanted to do was to develop an advocacy arm. And a couple years ago, we worked with a group of students here in Oregon who wanted to make sure that every student could take a mental health day. So if they were struggling with anxiety or depression, that they could actually be excused from school to deal with it and come back, you know, refreshed, just like you would with a cold. And in many of our school districts around the country, that's not allowed. You know, me- mental health, there's still that kind of buck up, you know, just suck it pull up, your loser. bridges up and get off with it. Yes. <laughs> walk it right? off. <laughs> walk it off. Walk it off. <laughs> or, or my personal favorite, if you're depressed, you need to be around other people because that's what's going to bring you out of it. I'm like, and if that worked, uh, you know, yeah. so we... We work with these students, they went to the legislature, they spoke with their heart, they spoke with their voices, and they passed this bill that got them actually national attention two years ago, um, all over the country about how they really took control of, of a legislature and made it possible for students to have a mental health day. So last year in Oregon, for the first time, students could take a mental health day. And I know so many students who have taken advantage of that and taken the opportunity and really been able to come back stronger and finish the school year strong. That is very cool. So this student advisory council is basically, it's, they're in a leadership position. Yes, they are. Work to be well. um, what about uh, as, as we, you know, we were talking about COVID and my dad and whatnot, how has the COVID-19 pandemic uh, affected all of this? And I assume you guys deal with that 
how it relates to teens and whatnot. How's, how does that play into it right now? Well, I, I assume that wasn't part of the original plan. Cause like, hey, well, by the way, we're going to have a pandemic, you know? <laughs> Let's have a pandemic. It'll be great. It'll awesome. be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't tried this before, so let's try that. Um, so when, when the pandemic first happened, we have a podcast called Talk to Be Well. And uh, on our podcast, we feature student voices talking about mental health and emotional well-being. And we were getting ready to do a podcast on anxiety, but we couldn't all get together in the same room with a mic, right? Especially early on. And the fabulous uh, social media team at Providence said, let's do Facebook Live. I'm like, Facebook Live? Yeah, we can do Facebook Live. I think I did Instagram Live with you once. Yep. Um, yeah, so we did Facebook Live and we started just with like a little half an hour segment and I got three random teens together and said, okay, quarantine, you, you aren't going back to school. And at this point we thought it was just going to be two weeks. It's like, how are you doing with this? You got extended spring break. And, you know, they started talking about it and people were listening. So we started doing it more and eventually it became a weekly thing where every Wednesday at noon, I bring a different group of teenagers together. And at first we were talking about what are you doing to deal with, with COVID-19? Then we're talking about what are you doing with the fact that you're not going to prom? And then we're talking about what are you doing with the fact that you're not going back to school and you're not going to finish your senior year and you're not going to have a graduation that's normal. Goodness, and, yeah. we, and we expanded to talking with college freshmen about what's it like to come home from spring break and not go back. And how does virtual school feel and all this other stuff. So it became a really rich platform for kids to talk about um, what it felt like to be a teenager in a pandemic and what it felt like to grieve all of the traditions. And you know what really surprised me? What was that? The traditions that I assumed they would talk about were, were prom and graduation and senior pranks. And that to a kid was not what they talked about they talked about losing out on the opportunity to mentor and inspire their fellow students who they felt they needed to hand the legacy of their school to. And they lost that. So the underclassmen and, that, that kind of passed the torch type thing. Yeah. Really? And so we talked about, yeah, it was really interesting. That, uh, you know what? I never would have thought of that. I mean, my daughter who she graduated from sixth grade going into middle school and, uh, I get. I mean, she 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 would she would have preferred the typical graduation. They have a little ceremony, but yeah. she did mention, you know, they 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 have a little program where they go and you know visit the the younger you know younger students, and yep. you kind of feel cool being the you know the hey I'm a sixth grader let's go talk to you know I was your age once, but I never really thought about it as being a major thing. That is that's interesting. Wow, it was it was fascinating and. We talked about different ways, you know, right there in the moment, because it's raw, it's live. And uh, I've only had a few times where they broke the cardinal rule. What's the cardinal rule? Yeah, no F-bombs. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> what happens if they break the, the is there like a, the, you know? <laughs> no, they get the mom look from me. <laughs> <laughs> Can I get that mom look? Oh, hey, yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Well, how, okay, when, when that came up, uh, I, you know, I guess as adults and parents and whatnot, we try to, you know, you, your kids have a problem. The instinct is to fix it. So how, maybe that's not the right reaction. I don't know. But when they missed out on, you know, uh, passing the torch to an underclassman, you know, all that stuff, was there a way to fix that or remedy that or make it happen in a different way? S similar, we've had drive-through graduations. They're not the same, but they still, you know, yeah. 
It's, how did how did you guys remedy that, or did you? Well, it was interesting because we we kind of talked about because you got three three four kids on this you know three or four teenagers on this call right on this on this Facebook Live, and they started talking with each other about solutions and how one kid at, at their high school what they had done because they're these are kids who are very active in student government and right. you know smart bright academic achievers and they started talking about how well you know I did a video call with a bunch of the incoming student council officers. Um, they talked about virtual elections and what they did. But you could also hear the sadness that even though they got to do those things, it wasn't quite the same. Um, some of them talked a little bit about what they would do when they got to college the next year. And I thought one of the most interesting things, going back to prom, one young man said, you know, he's headed down to Berkeley. And he said, what we've been talking about in our group of people going to Berkeley is having a a freshman prom at Berkeley Ooh. so that everybody who's had the shared experience of missing their prom can get to know each other in this new environment and really kind of let go of that uh, and create a new different kind of memory. I thought that was fascinating. That's a cool idea. So uh, all this takes place. You've done those on Instagram lives, Facebook lives and all that stuff. Is yep. that sort of how the uh, talk to be well podcast? I mean, did it, did that grow into the talk to be well podcast or, we, or is that two separate things basically? We started the Talk To Be Well podcast a couple of years ago and did a format where um, we'd have kids together for an hour. Sometimes I had four to six kids. We talked about everything from anxiety and depression and self-care to consent. Um, we talked about suicide pretty, pretty graphically uh, and really opened up the opportunity for youth to share their experiences, to ask questions. You know, they flip the switch sometimes and and ask questions of me. I'm a, I'm a licensed psychologist. You know, I'll talk about just about anything with a group of kids and uh, really have an open conversation about what those experiences are like. One of the most powerful Talk to Be Well episodes was about um, school shooter drills. Uh, and wow. this had come up in a different context. Um, one of the student advisory council members had shared a story about a school shooter drill that they had been in their middle school. And in the middle school, you know, every school shooter drill is different, right? Every one of these things, everybody's got a different technique. There's no standard. And in this particular school shooter drill, in their school, all the students had to grab an object that could be used as a weapon, right? Oh, wow. Okay. So some would grab staplers, some would grab scissors, you know, others would grab a notebook or a heavy book or whatever. And, you know, they turn off all the lights in the classroom and you're supposed to be really, really quiet. And this one kid um, snickered let out a little laugh, probably a little bit of nervous laughter. And the teacher silently walked up behind the kid and went, bang, you're dead. Yikes. And here's the student telling the story. And I, I, there wasn't a dry eye in the room as he was telling what this story, what that meant to him and the impact and the anxiety that then created every time he goes into a school shooter drill, even years later. What are your thoughts on that technique? That seems like, yeah, that's I mean, wrong. I guess he proved, yeah, <laughs> I guess he made his point, but goodness gracious. Wow. Okay. Um, well, the, once again, the talk to be well podcast covers anything and everything we've just gone over. And uh, let me go to another topic. Uh, obviously, uh, social injustice has been on full display over the last couple of months. And uh, I think we've all learned a lot. I've certainly learned a lot. Uh, how has work to be well dealt with uh, anti-racism and, uh, racial justice and all, you know, everything under that umbrella. How, how have you guys dealt with that? And what are some things that have come up with that? 
So we pivoted our podcast uh, when when Black Lives Matter started. Uh, it's been big here in Portland. Uh, there's still, um, you know, there's still protests and marches and demonstrations every single day, and it's awesome. And I had a few students come on. Uh, I've had a few students come on every week, actually talking about this probably for the last four or five weeks now. Um, my first group of students to jump into this were two student body presidents who had, uh, I'd had them on before, but they arranged a march in their town where they marched from, you know, their rivals, high, rival high schools. And they did a five mile march throughout their entire community, gathering students from both high schools in support of Black Lives Matter. Um, they're both students of color. And they, this was very early on in the movement. And they talked about how uh, their goal was to raise awareness with their peers and provide a safe way and a safe place for them to march. And they have since then been organizing, um, you know, whether it's small marches, whether it's, you know, protests, uh, whether it's just even educational sessions to talk about this so that they can make it okay. But the other thing that they've been doing, which I think is so fascinating, and it's not just these students, it's other students on the Student Advisory Council. We've been having conversations about when you go back to school this fall, what do you want to be different? And the last session I did, I did with a group of young Asian women um, who were all high school students. They were all, as a matter of fact, juniors going to become seniors in their various high schools. And they talked about the racism that they had experienced in their own schools and their school's approaches to that before all of this happened and what their hopes and aspirations were for their school boards and their schools to manage things differently when they return and what it takes to be in a safe environment. And one of the hardest parts of that conversation was, was talking with them about the racism that they experienced. One of the young girls, she's a runner, she's a cross country runner. And early in the pandemic, she's out running in her neighborhood and people, you know, she doesn't really know, but she's, you know, running yelling racist slurs about her because she's Asian. And at that time, in that experience, um, there was a lot of charged media coming from, you know, somewhere over there in D.C. saying that, you know, here's the, here's the Wuhan flu. And how that made her feel in her own safety of her own neighborhood just because she's of Asian descent. Um, so they've been really open about sharing their own experiences, talking about what they need from people in support, but also talking very openly about what it's going to take for their schools to be safe anti-racist places. And it starts with curriculum and education. We don't educate students about the history of racism um, in a very thorough way. We just don't. Do you think with all of the... Um all the protests, and maybe, I don't know if you or I can answer this, uh, as we probably haven't walked through some of those shoes, but, you know, talking with the students who've dealt with this, do they feel like, not to answer for them, but do you get a sense mm -hmm. that they feel like they're, through all this, real meaningful, positive, maybe even generational change is going to come from this time period? We've talked a lot about what, what does this look like? How does this end, right? Right. What does meaningful change look like? And, and how would you know when we're there? And I think aspirationally, they believe that we're going to get there. I think um, functionally, they're not seeing some of the needed pieces of change. 
And most of these kids and most of us um, need to become very politically active. They are very clear that the only way that we're going to change things is with our votes. <laughs> yeah, I think without stepping too much, too far into the political mud, this goes for, you have to vote. You just have to. You have to vote. Just, 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 just do it, please. Once again, that is uh, Dr. Robin Henderson, the Chief Exec of Behavioral Health at Providence. This is our first ever uh, virtual roundtable broadcast. Oh, one more thing, uh, Robin. Um, the Empowerment Hub. There's a th- the Empowerment Hub Think Tank. Yeah. It's going to launch in 2021. What is that? What can we expect from whatever this thing is? Well, one of the things that really happened for Work To Be Well was we were, we were ready to go digital, right? Right. We've been working on things like our podcasts, all the other things that we do. And we also have been working on developing curriculum that educators can use in classrooms and that students can actually teach that's attainable and that's free. And all of that is on our hub website at worktobewell.org. But the empowerment hub and the think tank really were the way that, how do we get beyond the teenagers that are in my community that I can go gather up in the iHeart boardroom and say, what are you thinking about? What do you, what do you do? Um, you know, how are we going to move this all forward? How do I gather those teenagers in New Jersey and in Louisiana and, you know, in South Dakota and, and even in California that can't necessarily get to where I'm at? And that's where the think tank and the digital empowerment hub came from. The idea that any teen anywhere, and in fact, anybody anywhere could begin to put ideas in about what do we need to learn about? What are, what are the things we need to think about? Because um, part of what we've learned in this is that healthcare has a lot of ways that we think about things, about mental health that are, that are often, um, I'm a psychologist, I've got a PhD, I understand these things. And, <laughs> and therefore, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, let's be real. It's only been in the last few years we've even been talking openly about mental health. Mental health used to be kind of like a porn shop, right? where you drive into the back, you know, and you'd hide your car so that you couldn't be seen and you could walk in this one door and you go- I need some mental health, it. come on. Right, and then you sneak out the back door so nobody sees you and I'm gonna keep it confidential, I'm gonna keep it secret, I'm gonna protect your privacy. It's just like a porn shop. And we really now have evolved to where we talk about our mental health and youth are really into this. They'll talk about going to their therapist like they talk about, you know, going down to the corner to pick up a Snickers bar. Um, they're very open about it. Um, I have ADHD, I have anxiety, I've got, you know, seasonal affective disorder, whatever it is that I've got. So we realized that we needed to do the same thing with the curriculum about how we teach mental health. And that was a large part of where Work to Be Well came from was how do we speak differently at the place where students are, which is in school. The bulk of young people spend their time in school and that's where we've got to figure out how we change this conversation if we're going to change things 20 years from now, right? Right. So we kind of looked at this like, um, think about the early days of sex education, where sex education really got effective when it came into schools. And we started talking about contraception and other things like that in schools. And we started talking about educating kids about their bodies and things like that in school. Well, why couldn't we use that same successful approach with mental health? Because it's worked in the one arena, it should work in the other arena. And we saw two things. Number one, a lot of the materials that were out there were written by clinicians 
which meant educators, you know, weren't psychologists and it wasn't really attainable and it didn't make sense. So they didn't use it. Or number two, you have to buy it. And most schools don't have the budget to buy new curriculum. They just don't. Uh, so you kind of set up that haves and have nots where the schools that have resources, they could bring in all kinds of flashy programs. But the schools that don't have resources couldn't even talk about it. So we needed to create something that was accessible and also informed by the youth, driven by the youth, and informed by educators. And that's part of where the, the think tank we hope to grow. What else do we need to be talking about besides depression and anxiety? Uh, you know, one of my favorite pieces of curriculum, and we, could, we should talk a little bit more about this, is what do you do when your friend says, I want to kill myself? How do you handle that? What do you um, do? If you want to cover that now, I don't know, but... Uh... Yeah, no, it's, it's really, really simple. Um, you know, we make this a really mystic thing of, of, oh my gosh, well, what do we do? Oh, you've got to do, you know, take a training for eight hours and then we'll tell you what to do. No, no, it's really, actually, it's really simple. You need to emotionally connect with them. Ask them how they are. Ask them how they're feeling. And you need to get them, persuade them, you know, use your, your powers of persuasion as their friend to connect them to a resource that can help. Um, Logic's song about the suicide hotline is one of my favorite songs on the planet because, you know, he really speaks about the suicide hotline and gets that number into everybody's mind so that you can call the suicide hotline, connect to youth line down there in LA, you've got teen line, connect to teen line, but connect to someone and stick with them until you get them connected. Because here's what we know. Suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary state of mind. That oft times, you know, it's a very spontaneous event. That oft times, the littlest piece of hope that you can give to someone that says, I care about you enough to hang with you while I get help on the line. I care with you enough to hang with you until I can get your parent, your teacher, your older sister, your whatever, here with us now. Because you've trusted me enough to hold this. I'm going to take care of you. When someone generally says, hey, I'm thinking about doing that, is that um, just basically a plea for give me hope, give me a reason to not do this? Mm-hmm. I think so. Uh, you know, when you, when you vocalize that ending your life is an option, that is a cry for help and should always be taken seriously. Always be taken seriously. Because that's, you know, suicide often, you know, uh, for many people is a constant real thing, real state of mind. It's the spikes of, of actually wanting to do it, um, actually completing. And we know, you know, we talk about means reduction where if you're in a state where you are chronically suicidal, um, limit your access to the means that you can kill yourself with easily. Pills, guns, ropes, things like that. Um, there are things and there are people who will help you do what we call means reduction, you know, buy a safe for those pills in your house. If your kid is depressed and you know they're struggling with chronic suicidality, then take those means away. I mean, I know what this looks like. I've lived this uh, in my own kids and we've got a safe where we lock up the, you know, medications and things like that. Because at this point a year ago, I had one of my own kids struggling with chronic suicidality. And a year later, after a lot of therapy and a lot of building hope and a lot of, 
really intensive look at what is underlying all of that, um, that's not an issue. You know, you can move past that state, but it takes work and it takes people offering that lifeline of hope and saying, I'm going to get in here with you and we're going to get you some help. Help is just a phone call away. Youth line, teen line, national suicide hotline, all those numbers are always there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There's always somebody there to listen. It, or I assume all those numbers are at worktobewell.org. You've got a list of numbers people can call and whatnot. Oh, heck yeah. <clears throat> so many numbers there. Oh, good, yeah. good, good, good. Um, Robin, what am, before we wrap this up, what, um, what am I forgetting? What, what, what else do people need to know? What have I not asked you yet? Well, I think, you know, one of the hardest things about the pandemic has been this whole idea of social distancing. And I hate that term because the reality is we need to physically distance from each other but we need to socially dig in now more than ever, right? Right. We've got friends, relatives, other people, everybody is struggling and feeling that, that disassociation that comes with, with what this pandemic has brought upon us. And by disassociation, I kind of mean, you know, you miss those connections to people. Think about when the last time is you got to hug somebody outside your family. And then think about the fact that there are people who are living alone who don't have family. And how can you reach out to them if they're part of your circle and connect? Um, I make it, you know, we have to make a real conscious effort to connect with people that we know are alone. I have a a really dear old friend of mine who uh, has his kid one week on, one week off. So every other week, he's just all on his own. And he um, chose to pick up and go live at his beach beach house because that would be the safest place to go. and does this, you know, one week on, one week off. So I make it a really conscious point to have a virtual happy hour with him every couple of weeks, just to check in, because I know he's living alone. I know his girlfriend's in Canada, and, uh, you know, they haven't seen each other since they closed the border. Um, No kidding. So she's up there, he's there. Yep. Man, Uh, good times. (laughs) Or not. (laughs) But the reality is really, you know, much like you were talking about, you know, with, with your own father having COVID. Um, COVID doesn't become real until it affects somebody that you know. That's a fair point. I mean, um, I, you know, clearly I knew it was real. Take it serious with the mask and all that stuff. But when I got the word that he had it, I'm thinking, wow. It just, it, it became yeah. uh, more personal, obviously. And uh, you take people being careless a little more to the heart. You see these you know, and I'm not trying to condemn people, but a giant pool party full of this. And I mean, it's just, there are better things you could be doing than that, you know, just common sense, you know, but nonetheless, um, God, we've covered a lot of stuff. Do you love, you seem like you love your job, but I, I can imagine it takes a toll at times as well, right? I do love my job and it does, it does sometimes, but talking about mental health and normalizing the conversation, talking with youth, feeds my soul. Um, Because what I want to see in this world is these kids that we're working with today, that we're getting the message out today, I want to see 20 years from now how they raise their kids so that this is just the normal part of our conversation. We we weren't raised that way to talk about mental health and emotional well-being and all these other types of things. Most people weren't raised that way. That was, you know, you didn't talk about that stuff. It wasn't polite dinner conversation. 
um, self-care is important. And raising our youth to learn how to take care of themselves physically, emotionally, spiritually, all those things, that's the biggest and best thing we can do. That feeds my soul every day, gets me up in the morning. And I love the fact that you use your power to raise that too. I know you've got... I know you've got uh, young girls. I imagine you talk about some of these things at home sometimes, huh? Yeah, my, you know, my, I'm sure my wife handles the, the heavy lifting on some <laughs> things, you know. I'll be like, what are you guys talking about? Well, let me scoot out the room. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, it, uh, it, Sophie's been eye-opening in a lot of ways. You know, I didn't, uh, yeah, she, she's taught me a lot of stuff. Sophie being my daughter, of course, you know. But uh, she, I've, I've learned a lot of things and I, things that, you know, I, I didn't go through as a, you know, a little kid growing up in, in Texas, she's, she's grown up in a different era and a different time and things are, people, they grow up faster now. And it's just, it, yep. it's a, it's opening, but it's also kind of cool too, you know? So um, once again, you guys, Dr. Robin Henderson, chief exec, I like the word exec over executive, chief exec of behavioral health at uh, Providence, worktobewell.org. You can also find uh, everything you need on their Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, they even, I, I was reading your panel. It's on LinkedIn too. I keep getting emails from LinkedIn. I'm not even sure if I have a LinkedIn account, but I keep getting LinkedIn. So there's that. Um, uh, Robin, it's just been a real pleasure. I hope, I hope you're good. And I hope people take this, uh, this info we've, and you've put out here and just use it. If you need it, use it. And don't just let this be kind of passive. If you, if you have a, you know, if you need, need help, man, jump on this. These are real people. Yeah who will really help you. And I, like I said, I've turned people on to Robin and her team and they've connected with them one-on-one. And it's just, uh, uh, it, it was just, I don't know, real eye-opening and really cool to see what she does and what her team does in action firsthand. So there's that. Robin, uh, should I ask you anything else or should I just uh, scoot on out and you go do your thing? It has been a pleasure talking with you, Jojo. I will come and talk with you anytime you want. 